Our in-studio guest today, more answers than Siri, Alexa, and Google will be combined. Master David Gadini. More muscles than a Clydesdale horse. Mike McKay is in the house. Come on, clap for him. All right, yes. Producer, master of puppets who hates the idea of free will. Kent Jones. All right. And I just and I and I just muted you much. <laughs> yeah, keep going. The sweetest version of Princess that Disney could ever dream of. Maya, my lovely daughter's here. All right. Welcome to questions you never thought you could ask in church. I like that intro. I like that intro. <laughs> every, every week I'm gonna come up with something new who the people are in, in here. It was good. Wasn't it was it? good. Yeah. Well done. Now go for the digits because I know <laughs> well you're done. just begging for it. I'm just dying the whole time, right? <laughs> like, would he shut up so that I can get into my digits? <laughs> Look at that. Look at this. Look at it. Boom. Awesome oh, it's fantastic. Hey, uh, welcome again to questions you never thought you could ask in church. Here's what Steve has been asking for and dreaming about for the last seven days. Mm-hmm. Text your questions in to 815-314-0363. 815-314-0363. So where we invite you to text in whatever questions you might have about God, about Christianity, about the spiritual life. We'll do our best to get them in real time here. Answer them on the spot and help guide you in your spiritual journey. So, uh, Okay, so so I, I feel bad because we have another guest in here, and I didn't know she was going to be in here. But yeah. what your name? I'm Lisa. Lisa. You got and, Lisa and Lisa is learning to produce, right? Yeah. So this is going to be good. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for doing that. You're welcome. Yeah. Hey, you know, and I would like to even give a shout out to uh, um, Pete right now, and you know, to move it just kind of into uh, you know a moment of sincerity or maybe mm-hmm. seriousness. Mm-hmm. But uh, Pete, who's one of the the co um, managers. At 216 the net where we're broadcasting right now is just really gotten hit hard by covid yeah. I mean, and when i say hit hard i mean the guy's in a um, induced coma right now and you, you know there's kidney dialysis that's had a start i mean it's just really really destroying him at the moment um, on top of that his wife is uh in the hospital right now for a, a, um, a pneumonia mm-hmm. covid um induced pneumonia mm-hmm. and so i thought maybe we could just pray for for pete and i don't Let's know do his it. wife's name yeah. actually yeah. ken what do we got mary yeah, okay. Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine. You know, with all sincerity, let's just kind of give a moment to say, Lord, your hand upon Pete, your hand upon Catherine. And uh yeah. um and is it Mary Catherine or just yeah. Catherine? Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine. She goes by the full name there. Okay. Okay. Let's pray. And if you're uh, you're driving today, don't don't close your eyes. All right. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> God, we uh we ask that you just come alongside um our brother Pete and his wife Mary Catherine today who are just really at the edge. God, there are so many people who have stood in this place and and so many people who have been hit by this, not only in the past 18 months, but in all kinds of ways through through human existence. It doesn't make it easier. If God, you know what it, it means to suffer. You know what it means to be ill. You know what it means for your people to struggle with fear and certainty and pain. God, we pray for healing upon Pete. We pray for healing upon Mary Catherine. Sustain them. Sustain them both this day. Bring them through this, God. We'll ask it boldly. We'll ask your healing hand boldly upon them. Amen. Amen. Okay. So. Coming we, up into Thanksgiving here. It, it is thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, so what are your, what are you, what are you guys' plans? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing, Mike? Small family gets together. Your brother, place? Brother's sisters, brother's house. Brother's yeah, house. Right okay. In Johnsburg, close by. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like lunch or dinner? Are you like like that noon kind of Thanksgiving family? Or are you like the four, five, six o'clock kind of thing? It usually goes late. Everybody gets together and it's supposed to be earlier and then, you know, hang out and drink and do all that stuff. And then by the time it, you know, water. it's like seven, eight right. o'clock, drinking water. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As you have right Strong now. water. Yeah. Or Everclear. Or that. No, that's, that, that I won't touch. Thankful for? What are you thankful for? What am I? Thinking? Name name two things you're thankful for. Man, you know what? During during this like past season, um, since last Thanksgiving, community is a big thing. Community, okay. Yes, Good. absolutely. Friends, yeah, fellowship, and I, everybody, yeah. And I mean, just having people around to be able to, you know, because it really shed light on how much it means to have that. Mm-hmm. Kent included in that? Absolutely. Okay. 
you know, I was hearing someone talk about Thanksgiving and they were like uh, talking about the Friendsgiving mm. kind of thing mm-hmm. that's become popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other person kind of pushed back on it saying, you know, I, I don't think I really like the Friendsgiving thing because at its, at its source, Thanksgiving is not about getting together with people you like. It's about getting together with your family. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I said, you don't have to like them, but you're called to love them. <laughs> very true how about you steve what do you got going on this thanksgiving i don't know yet i don't know if we're if if barbie's dad is like they came by then they went and now they're coming back so Mm. i don't know if they're coming back around to to our place for thanksgiving or not not, i don't i don't know so it's up in the air yeah if if nothing we'll be at your house yeah because you totally dissed us on the invite oh we did yeah i didn't oh okay okay maya did maya did maya's a mammoth going over there maya's over there (laughs) drinking quick is that quick that's quick. All right. Great childhood. No, but drink. seriously, come on by. Yeah. Yeah. Come on by if you want. Yeah. Whenever. And then we can wrestle because your brother's going to be there, right? Yeah, he will be there. Yeah. He could talk wrestling and actually wrestle if right. you want. Yeah. Because he's got a show on the net. What's it called? Let me tell you something, brother. Ooh. See, the reason I brought that up is because he yelled at me in church for not bringing it up. It's true. So there it is. There it is. That's your shout out right. right there. So you're just family who's all coming. Yeah. It's a little bit uh, um, tighter. You know, we've typically been the host family for Thanksgiving and it's always been pretty large, like the face style and uh, you know, a lot of family and friends and stuff like that coming in and out this year, it's going to be tight. It's, it's like my immediate family, not even all of them. Mm. My, uh, my oldest daughter is uh, down in St. Louis area and she's going over to her boyfriend's place and uh, um, she's doing Thanksgiving out that way. And then, uh, you know, my mom's coming over, my brother and his kids are coming over mm-hmm. and maybe the Wells. Maybe, so, maybe. Yeah, we'll you never we'll know. Could show yep. an appearance. So we have Thanksgiving. We have a lot of questions about Thanksgiving, or at least two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'll start them off right now. How about All right, what do we got? Okay. When did people first start celebrating Thanksgiving? When did people start first celebrating Thanksgiving? As, as a general concept, Thanksgiving goes back to the first people. It goes back to Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. And Abel offering sacrifices up in the garden, you know, outside the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. practically. So, I mean, this idea of, of not only an emotion of thankfulness, but expressions of thankfulness, I mean, go back through human existence. But if we're talking more of what I would call the American phenomena of this holiday that we celebrate called Thanksgiving, you know, you see roots do it back 16, 20, 21, uh, you know, the Puritans with their, their, their fast days and their Thanksgiving or feast days, you know, bringing that over into the colonial life. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people attributed to uh, Abraham Lincoln, little known fact, George Washington was the first president. Well, was the first president, mm-hmm. but was the first president to actually call for a national day of Thanksgiving. Mm. It was 1789, I want to say. And uh, don't quote me on the exact date. Always give me a little buffer here. Mm-hmm. With a few years, Constitution's just been ratified and it wasn't fixed to what day we celebrate it today. It was probably the poultry lobbyists it probably were. was the poultry lobbyists yeah the, the, the 18th century <laughs> got to push the turkey were, were totally you know and uh you know you had to get those election coffers right. you, you know stoked back <laughs> up apparently winning a revolutionary war isn't enough uh, you know but uh, he actually called for the first uh, day of national thanksgiving but what happened is um he was an episcopal episcopalian and the episcopal church picked up on this and they established within the anglican community at least here in the states the idea that the first Thursday of, of every November would be a national day of, or not a national, but a, a religious day of Thanksgiving. But they, they actually put into it, but to be amended, if the, the, the like basically civil government should choose to go in another way, we're just going to kind of conform mm-hmm. and, and go that way. And uh, Abraham Lincoln then gets it. But you know what I like about the Abraham Lincoln um, aspect of this, who actually declared it to be the fourth Thursday, I believe, as we have it today, it was 1863 or something like that. But it was, yeah, 1863, because it was right after the Battle of Gettysburg. And if you kind of remember any bit of Civil War history or American history, I mean, this was one of the bloodiest battles that's ever been faced in America, especially because it's brother on brother, mm-hmm. North versus South. Right. I don't know if it holds the record for the United States of still being the bloodiest or or, or most casualty-laden and injury-laden battle in our history. Mm-hmm. Um, but if not, it's a contender. And it was actually shortly after that, that Lincoln declared the fourth Thursday, building on a tradition, of course, that was before that to be a day of national mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, which I think to a lot of people 
might be filled with a certain sense of irony or disbelief, but I, I think it makes it all the more potent. Um, Lincoln was a deeply Christian man and understood, I think, a biblical concept of thanksgiving um, that saw it being even richer in dark times and horrific times and in times of suffering um, as an attitude to embrace and a perspective to take rather than just a response to something good. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So those of you don't, who don't know, Dave's a big fan of history. Like you love history. I, I do. Lo- yeah. I yeah. mean, you, you read a lot. You, you just love history. Uh, yeah. You're a history it's, buff. Yeah. So why we'll, is it that I'd rather live in the past and the future than in the present? <laughs> you know, that, that, that's the real question. Present. Cause you know what's happening in the yeah, present. I guess, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Okay. So next question. Uh, and it's not really a history question. This is more on the thought provoking emotional side. So someone says, I've, I've had a lot of bad things happen to me lately, but I, I know it's important to be thankful to God. How do I practice thankfulness without being fake? Um, yeah. Right. And which of us haven't been there mm-hmm. because we know we're called to this kind of thing. But uh, if your emotion isn't there, um, I really appreciate the question. And, and you know, there, there isn't really an easy answer to working through the, the depth of whatever struggle or suffering or, 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 or just crap that you're facing in this world. And I don't want anything to come across as insensitive to that I, I really appreciate mm-hmm. the, the openness that you're expressing with this. But what I have found is that belief follows practice, maybe as much, if not more than practice follows belief. And so thankfulness is something that God invites us to do, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And it isn't to turn a blind eye to suffering by any means. And it isn't to smooth over or make light of the struggles that we find ourselves in, or to call evil good, or any of the other ways that I think distorts something true and good at the core. You know what I'm saying here? Mm -hmm. But it's to say that despite it, I can defy it. And what I can do is I can even look in the face of whatever misfortune or evil or suffering that I happen to be in and turn my eyes up to God and say, even in the misery of this, there is something better and greater. And not to say that what's happening to me is good. That would be to call good evil and evil good. I think that's fundamentally um, emotionally and psychologically destructive, Um, not to mention dishonest, not to mention uh, displeasing to God. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, God is a God of truth. But it is to say that even in my worst place and worst suffering, I can adopt an attitude that seeks to hold on and give thanks to God for greater things than the misery that I'm facing in the moment. Man, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That is tough when you are neck deep in it and all you can see is your pain. And yet that's what makes it so absolutely powerful because it gives us something beyond our pain into a greater reality than the reality that we're facing in the moment. And so my, my encouragement would be if you're in that place, struggle openly with God in it, tell him about what you're struggling with. Tell him about what you're feeling, lament, cry out, do all of those things with God. But in that dare to approach God in such a way that says, and yet Lord, despite this, I thank you for showing grace to this world. I thank you for showing grace to me. I thank you for coming down alongside of me in my suffering, even if you're not relieving it to suffer alongside of me. And I thank you for a hope in a future that goes even beyond this life. Yeah. Uh, Should the suffering go that deep. And, you know, just for a little bit of encouragement and and comfort, really, I mean, God knows where you're at, you know? So, so as far as the fakeness, you're not ever going to be able to be fake with him. Right. So right. He's, he's right there with you. And like you said, talk to him. But, you know, a lot of it is, is, you know, I, I hear that type of thing and, and, and I can envision someone not, not so much trying to pull the wool over God's eyes, mm-hmm. but just trying to suck it up, you know, suck it up and kind of barrel on through, which, I mean, let's face it, all of us have to do that in life at times. But while you do, slowly being whittled away mm-hmm. inside is your, your, your strength, your stamina, your, your perseverance starts to erode and and you're left there with almost a a sense of a shell of thankfulness and a core that's now just feeling empty. And it's okay to be in that place. No one wants to be in that place, but if you are in that place, whatever you're feeling is okay. And bring that to God and you will find the Psalms to be filled with similar kinds of laments 
cursing, um, shout outs to God directed towards him and directed towards life in general. And God, why aren't you, you know, those types of things, but through it, seeking a path of faith to trust him despite, I love how Joe put Job puts it. I think this is Job 15, but you can look up the verse in like Bible gateway or something like that and find it where he, he cries out in his misery. And yet though he slay me, I will hope in him. Mm. <clears throat> that has been one of the most powerful lines of faith in my life. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And I think it's rooted in, in laced to those kinds of ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mike, anything? So, uh, yeah, I have a, I, I want to see what your take on this is. Cause as you're talking about this, it's like, I, I have experienced that where if I come to God and I'm trying to be thankful about something and I have a whole bunch of other stuff on my plate, it's like, you know, those emotions or those negative things are clogging up like my, you know, my, my genuine, you know, feelings of, of thankfulness. And so I can still be, you know, thankful for, you know, whatever and say it, but after getting through that kind of, um, you know, that, that emotional, you know, discourse or getting it out and being genuine, it almost seems like in, in, in being in becoming thankful that, that when it happens genuinely, it's a, it's like a God conviction where it's almost like how you were talking about, like, or how we've been talking about in church, where you say that, like, you can't even get saved on your own accord. Like it's God's strength and it's God's power that kind of like, you know, that, that, that enables you to even, you know, become saved and to, you know, to come to him. And I've almost felt that way with like, with genuine thankfulness that I can't even be, I can't even do that without his conviction and his prompting. So it's almost like that, you know, that, that allowance to, to, to allow him to get underneath me and, and, and mm. help me see, really see the things that I'm thankful for, you know, and kind of does, is, does that make sense? Yeah, like, totally. You know? And, and, you know, something that you said, um, I want to play off of it and, and draw it into a metaphor, but thankfulness is a spiritual diuretic. Mm. You, you know, people get spiritually constipated. Mm -hmm. Steve gets actually constipated All the time. too, you know, but, uh, <laughs> on both sides, spiritually yeah. and physically. Yeah. Yeah. And when they converge, man, it's not a good day. Especially when I have to drive to Nebraska for eight hours and then have to unload or try and unload. So, <laughs> but legitimately we do, we get backed up the soul at times, right. you, you know, and it doesn't feel like it could, it just stuck. Right. And in, in these spiritual practices like thankfulness are actually ways that, that, that God's spirit interfaces with us and our own soul to help things to start moving, flowing again. I, I don't right. know what okay. way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Next, this one's it's, it's similar uh, in the same vein. Anyway, my dad always uh, my dad says everything he has he's worked for, and he doesn't need to be thankful to anyone, especially mm. God. How do I talk to him? <laughs> that's a man. That's the million dollar question. Just yeah. like forget even the first part of that question. Just how do I talk to my dad? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that alone is is something. I, you know, um, I guess I'm going to give practical advice before the theological. Rationale I think Maya sent it. this question in. <laughs> She's over there texting <laughs> yeah, in the corner. Right now. <laughs> we need to talk when we get home. <laughs> Let's just talk of the practical thing about how you talk to your dad. You know, your job is not to convince your dad otherwise. I don't know if your dad's someone who's going to listen to you. I don't know if he's not. Um, my dad loved him to death, but, you know, I didn't so much have a conversation with my dad growing up as much as my dad pontificated. Mm. And I listened. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if he wasn't in the right space to receive all the words in the world weren't going to make any bit of difference. Yeah. And so I, I don't know your relationship with your dad. That's, that's going to really drive a lot of this, but I just kind of want to encourage you that at some level, as much as you want your dad to see otherwise and hope and pray that your dad does see otherwise, and maybe even be called to be a, a countervailing point of reason or wisdom or perspective with your dad. Fundamentally, you got to read the moment. And in the moment, it might not be a time to try to convince your dad of anything. Mm -hmm. But what I have found generally, when I find myself in conversations with other people, generally more with peers um, than with someone who has a certain sense of what I would say authority or influence, like a, a parent will over me, is you don't have to challenge them directly, but you can just use I language um, to express how you think differently. Don't make it an issue about your dad. Talk about yourself. You know, I see it differently. You know, I see a lot of things in my life that I need to be thankful to God for. And I, I know that I've been very blessed by people 
with opportunities that they gave me to get ahead. Dad, you know, I, I've been blessed by you. Um, I, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for you and the way that you've provided for me, the way that you've looked out for me. And, you know, things like that. You can, and, and you can kind of turn it on its head, but in a very sincere way to show how all of us, all of us at some level, have thanks or gratitude to extend to other people who helped us along the way. And yes, maybe it was by um, a, a lot of our own hard work, our own perseverance, our own skills, our own things. Praise God for that. But I love how Deuteronomy puts this. And I think this is worth reading here today. I'm just going to bring up this little, uh, this little section of Deuteronomy where Moses is talking to the second generation of the people of Israel who are entering the promised land. And to set this up, is he's really encouraging them to, to follow the commands that I'm giving you and um, to not make the same mistakes that your you know parents made mm -hmm. in their stubbornness and their hardened of heart and, and stuff like that. Um, and he says this, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years. And he says to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors knew what it was to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then that in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord, your God disciplines you. Now I want to go a little further than this, but I want to start with that. Your feet didn't swell. Your clothes didn't wear out. So many of the things I think we take for granted and that we think are just of, of a natural making or own making are actually gifts of God and God providing for us and God watching out for us, even though we don't see it. But let me go a little further. Verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, etc., that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, who led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions, who brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat. Something again that your ancestors didn't know. You may say, my power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth from me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors today. I mean, I, I think of the amount of simple genetic twists of fate that could have happened in my life um, prenatally, um, in my parents, that would have completely affected my intellect, would completely have affected my ability um, to function as we think of a normal human being functioning in this world, that would have made all the difference in the world. That, that's not by my doing. That's not by my own making. Um, thanks be to God. I, I could think of the, the most vulnerable times of my life. Um, a, an infant, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, completely dependent on your parents in a variety of ways. And if I was born simply in a different geographical locale in this world, if I was born even within the States, but into a different family who, who had different values or were in a different place of life or different struggles, it would have been a game changer. Very different. <clears throat> we, we, are, we have so much to be grateful for, for those who have gone before us and God especially, who gives us the abilities and the opportunities that he sets before us. So that's theologically mm -hmm. how I would answer the question here today, but practically it's a different matter depending on the context and situation mm -hmm. with your dad. Well, and, and it, it doesn't say that he's, or that whoever, whoever, the, whoever sent this question, it doesn't say that he doesn't believe in, in God. No, saying and it's an unknown in this, this case. Right. So if he does, great, have the conversation, share the verse with him, right? Like what, what's, what can you give her the, or. Yeah. Yeah. I'll chapter and verse it. I mean, it's Deuteronomy chapter eight, which okay. is found in, uh, <laughs> what's called the Old Testament or the, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Yeah. Um, it's specifically, the, the line that I like is that verse 18. It's, it's 8 verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce right. wealth. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, hard, it's hard to uh, credit that, you know. <laughs> I mean, especially if you're a believer and you believe in Scripture. 
But again, it's what a posture. It's an attitude sure. or a mindset. It, 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 it's, it's a determination internally of what am I going to believe that is true about reality? Do I believe that this is all there is mm-hmm. and uh, everything I have is, is by random chance or of my own making? Or do I believe that there is a God yeah. or a benevolent power yeah. um, who is involved mm-hmm. and to whom I could pay homage? And, and that's going to drive the attitudinal perspective, right. at least in relation to God. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so uh, let's do one more off this page, and then we'll get to the comments section on on Facebook. Um, this question is: How do I? How do you know if you're truly if you've truly forgiven someone? Mm. How do you know if you've truly forgiven someone? Great question. Thank you for asking. Which of us hasn't struggled with this? And I think the difficulty we all face is: Well, have you either of you guys been here before, where someone's <clears throat> hurt you or wronged you? Um, intentionally or unintentionally, and you actually have forgiven them. But then like 20 minutes later, you were just like torqued all the emotions right back. You're just as angry. You're just as mad. You're holding on just as tight. And you're like, geez, did I like, was I faking it? Mm -hmm. Like, like, was that legitimate? We've all been there, right? Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Honestly, honestly, you know, you might mean it jokingly, but I'm going to take you sincerely. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it is. I, I remember a good 10 year stretch of my life where it was every day towards uh, someone in particular Mm -hmm. and a certain group of people. Um, What I have found is that forgiveness is more of a practice than a singular act. Mm. And we want to forgive so often because we don't want to carry the emotional baggage anymore. Mm -hmm. I want to be free of you. And I do, (laughs) right? But I'm going to push back on that a little bit and go, is that actually loving your enemy? as you would love your neighbor, which Jesus calls us to do. And sometimes I have wondered if we get emotionally invested with our enemies to a degree, because the only way that we would end up interacting or, 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 or deciding to care and love them. That sucks. That sucks hard, but we're called to forgive. And so what I have found is that for those people in my life, for whom that root of unforgiveness or maybe just that root of anger continues to hold on, I have to continue to forgive every day. And that doesn't mean I got to call them up every day. That can be very counterproductive. But in my heart, in my conversation with God, and sometimes my prayer has even had been this, God, I don't forgive them. I don't want to forgive them. I hate their guts and I hope they get what's coming to them and I wish you would give it to them. Mm -hmm. But Lord, I know you're calling me to forgive. So Lord, even if I can't say the words today, Lord, help, you know, Lord, forgive them. At least Lord, help me to adopt an attitude that you want me to have to learn to forgive them. Yeah. And sometimes that's where your prayers got to start. I would just encourage you if you're struggling in this, keep doing it every day. The words have power Mm -hmm. and they will work on your soul. They will conjure stuff up. Um, don't get too hung up on whether your forgiveness has been genuine or not based on your emotional feeling. Cause the emotion will come back and they'll grab you again and again. And we're very good about that these days, the emotional piece, you know, we, we base things off the emotion versus what is actually truth or real. Yeah. 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 You know, and maybe it's worth mentioning this, that when Jesus calls us to love our enemies, that can be very misconstrued because we've, like you said, Steve, if we, we think from an emotional standpoint, love therefore means how I feel about mm-hmm. someone. Right. And it's certainly that that's a component mm-hmm. of it. But if we reduce it to just that, I think we confuse what love is at a deeper, more transcendent level. And, and, and worse, I think it distorts some of these teachings of Jesus because you can walk away going, I've got to feel really good and I've got to pretend to like this person. Or No, you, you really can't dictate how you're going to feel about that person in the moment. But what I can do is choose to love you, which means choose to act towards you in a certain way, despite how I feel about you. So secretly or internally, I might not like you at all, but that doesn't give me license to treat you less than how God wants me to treat you. I think the same is true for forgiveness. How do I treat someone in a forgiving way? Even if, I still harbor anger and a certain kind of tight fistedness Mm -hmm. in my heart. Um, 
welcome to the difficulty of the Christian practice. I don't claim it to be easy, but I do know that God comes alongside of us to help bring us to that place. All right. Okay. So like I said, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, we're going to go to the comments section. One thing, Amy, uh, Amy, uh, which we all know, Amy, you visit her many a times, I think. Uh, she says, hi, P Pastor and Steve. Amy, and, happy and, Thanksgiving. And Mikey. Don't forget about Mikey. Um, Steve Thomas, sorry, says amen. <laughs> Gene says amen. Thomas Odell, because he's got his show, says, let me tell you something, brother. So that's the name of his show. If you want to check out some, a show on wrestling, watch the show. Um, and then Gene also has a, a question. Does conform theology continue to reform? Say that again, because I'm not looking at it right before my sure. eyes. Does conform theology continue to reform? To reform. L let me answer the question this way. Um, and, and, and I should know the Latin on this, but I mean, this comes out of the actual reform tradition in, in the Protestant movement. Um, reformata, reformandum or something like that. And, and you don't care if you're listening here today, unless you're like a you know, theologian or something like that, and then correct me on my horrible Latin here in, in the way I'm butching, you know, conjugations and endings, but it basically means always reforming. Mm. All right. So that there is a sense that the Christian church should always be reforming. And what that means is literally reforming that the God has given us something, but over time due to, um, natural drift due to apathy, due to um, entropy, due to our sinful inclinations, things just start to unravel, mm -hmm. right? Welcome to the human condition. And that there's this constant call to renewal, this constant call to reform, this constant call to kind of put back together or rebuild the, the, the goodness, the purity, the truth, the center of what it's meant to be always, of course, within the context of life and culture, you know, things mm -hmm of this nature. But, um, I, I'm going to kind of take that a little bit more broadly and go, we should always be in a process of reforming. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so next question, any resources, books on Christian theology that you would recommend? That was one of the questions here to this topic specifically, or just more generally just speaking? a greater knowledge of Christian theology. Oh yeah. No, no, that great question. Thanks for asking. I mean, if you're looking to go deeper into the Christian understanding, the Christian worldview, uh, the reality is there are more good resources out there than you can read in a lifetime. And the problem that I find for many people is actually paral paralysis by option rather than, you know, finding the good source. So I'm trying not to overcomplicate my answer here, mm -hmm. but I can't avoid it entirely because what I would recommend is determined by who I'm talking to your love of reading your literacy rate, your familiarity with Christian theology. Is, is this someone who's been born and raised Christian and, and went to like catechism classes and, and Bible studies their whole life that are really looking to go and do a deep soak? Or is this someone who's like, now this Jesus guy, what did he do? And brand new to the whole thing, looking for basic resources. So let me kind of give a certain spectrum here of favorites that I have depending on where you might be on, you know, your own spectrum with this. There is a great website called Explore God. Um, and in this day and age, I think a lot of people are more eager to read or listen um, uh, online than they are to get like a hard copy book. Um, and if you're just looking for like short, pithy articles, quick web search kind of things, go, go check out ExploreGod.com. Um, and, and there's a number of resources there that I think are going to be super helpful for um, navigating hot topics and Christian ethics and and basic Christian beliefs about God and ourselves and salvation, things like that. If you're looking for um, maybe a little bit more or a little bit more pointed, every single church denomination, Christian denomination, has what they call a catechism. Now, many of these are older formulations, so you're reading things that may have been written a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 400 years ago, or, or adaptations of things that have even been written over like a thousand years, give or take. Um, but nonetheless, many of them have been, you know, new editions updated and edited, and you can find any number of catechisms from, you know, Luther's small catechism, Luther's large catechism, things like, you know, the Heidelberg confession or, you know, other, uh, other thing, the Westminster confession, things like this. I mean, there, there's hundreds of these, um, 
I would say go to like maybe Luther Small Catechism if you want. It's like 20, 25 pages long mm -hmm. and you can get it right online just with the Google for free, mm -hmm. right? If you buy a hard copy book, it'll give you about 200 pages of Q&A that you can do after that. But maybe you're looking for a little bit more broad. You, you know, it's some people struggle with the language a little bit, but I cannot recommend enough C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Mm -hmm. Fantastic book. The, the, the history of this book, for those of you who don't know who C.S. Lewis is, he was an ardent atheist in the 20th century, um, um, professor um, of medieval literature in, um, in, in Britain at the time of Cambridge, and uh, was a hardened atheist. And it was actually through some of the influence of not only what he was reading in pagan literature and material, but additionally, through the influence of a good friend, um, J.R.R. Tolkien from Lord of the Rings fame, um, and, and a number of other factors that he came to see not only the credibility, but what he was convinced of was the truth and reasonableness of Christianity and uh, had a radical conversion. And through World War II, while London was being bombed by the Nazis, he would give a radio broadcast meant to bring the British people hope. And it was out of these lectures or radio broadcasts that this book called Mere Christianity eventually developed. And what he does in this book is give an argument and an encouragement as to why you can find hope in the Christian faith and why Jesus in Christianity, be, Christianity is credible and reasonable. And he does it in a very broad scope kind of way. He doesn't get into denominational questions. He doesn't get into the, the, the sifting fine points between this movement or that movement. He goes, just what's Christianity at its, at its mere basic level? And, and he approaches it um, from the way that I think with a lot of the same questions that, that people bring to Christianity today. It's a great read. And if you can kind of work through a little bit of what I would call um, like 1950s, British academic English written for a pop audience, mind you, you're going to be okay. Now, if you want to go super deep, I mean, there's confessional textbooks that you could read. I'm, you know, Wayne, Wayne Grudem has um, a, a classic systematic textbook that you can um, look up. Um, Confessing the Gospel is another great series that I would recommend you to. And we can go deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole. But um, I feel like I'm paralyzing by the same options that I encouraged you, but, <laughs> but I want to get like five or six out there because what I find is the right way to start for one person is not always the best way to enter for another person. Okay. All right. So, um, we're past halfway point. So you want to give us the digits. And then after that, I will let you, uh, Maya and I have, uh, we were, we were talking the other day. She's looking at me like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Yeah. How's dad said, but I remember up. these things. So, um, I have something, a question that's going to come from Maya that I have on my phone. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. So you are listening to questions you never thought you could ask in church. It's a podcast where we invite you to text in questions about God, Christianity, the Bible, the spiritual life to 815-314-0363. That's 815-314-0363. We will do our best to get to whatever question that you ask here today. Um, additionally, if you're joining us, um, uh, on Facebook, mm -hmm. you can catch us at 21, six, the net or at fellowship of faith. Um, either Facebook page will work, uh, fellowship of faith.org. You can link right there as well. Steve, Maya. Yeah. What do you got? So here, so we're picked her up from school the other day and, uh, or no, you came home from school and I'm sitting at the table, just eating some snacks or whatever. And, and, seeds. Uh, Seeds, yes, seeds, some yeah. bird seeds. It's all you eat. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's flax seeds. Seeds, man, yeah. And so that way, that eight-hour drive doesn't affect me anymore. <laughs> See? See how I did that, Kent? <laughs> You're so proud of yourself. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Worked it right in. Um, the question is, is that, or it wasn't even a, a question. The, or she's taking, she's a freshman, and uh, the teacher had mentioned that you do not need to be religious to know right and wrong, difference between right and wrong. So what are your thoughts on that? So it's not so much a question as much as is commenting on a statement. You do not need to be religious to know the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. I'd absolutely agree with it. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you need to be, quote, religious mm -hmm. to know the difference between right and wrong. I believe that right and wrong is ingrained and embedded in every human conscience and heart. And not only that, that's actually a very Christian thing to say. 
that is very biblical. Um, that comes out not word for word, but conceptually from the pages of the Bible itself. Of course, it does demand that we define some terms here and what someone means by religious religion. as well. Mm -hmm, sure. But whatever definition we give to religion or religious, it, it fundamentally uh, doesn't matter. Um, now, if you really want to push me to the mat on some of these definition terms, I think religion gets defined wrongly as meaning belief in God, which is not what religion means at its base term. A lot of religion deals with questions of God, but religion at a base fundamental term is just about what you believe. Mm. What do you believe? So I think of Theravada Buddhism, which doesn't believe in God. And no one is going to say that Buddhism isn't a religion, right? So if religion is just what you believe and maybe arguably um, what you believe about reality, um, you know, your foundational beliefs. Well, I mean, come on, that, that's far and wide. So maybe someone can push back and go, I don't even believe in a concept of right and wrong. But even there, I find a lot of inconsistency because I find that people who might not even be, claim to believe in the concept still kind of do and still kind of base decisions on those certain things are better than others and not just because they're expedient, mm. but because there's something, a fundamental truth about it, if I can use language that way. So you have absolute truth, correct? Which is God's truth? Would you can, is that terminology? Is it like, if we're operating on the same language Sure, let's here, go with it. Let's okay. go with it. So let's go down the track. So we have truth, God's truth, which then probably leads you to immorality, right? Of what is right and wrong, what isn't. Uh, and, and so if you're living in, in that, you're, you're living in that morality, God's truth as a Christian, um, then you would have to say that there is a right and a wrong, correct? But if you're not, then it's really subject to you what is right or wrong. So if that's the case, then you could have many different rights and wrongs, correct? So if you have many different rights and wrongs, then what you think is right, I may think is wrong. Let's say Mike doesn't believe in Christ and, he and his morality does not revolve around God's truth. Okay, so therefore Mike goes out and kills someone. Well, to him, he's like, what? They were a, they were a nuisance. I got rid of them. I did good. In my mind, under God's truth, morality, I would say it's not right. So my, my question then, going back to the original statement is, you don't have to be religious to know the difference between right and wrong. Mm. Religion, again, we have, to, we have to define what your context is as far as religion. So therefore, I would love to know what that specific teacher is and what her context is as far as religion goes, so that we could explore that a little bit deeper. With and and let, me put, uh, let, let me put it this way, too, and then add one more piece. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Christians, um, genuine, sincere, and those who claim to be, um, who aren't, who claim to believe certain truths but don't practice them, right? Likewise, there are many people who don't claim to be religious in any persuasion, be it Christian, be it Jewish, be it Muslim, be it of, of um, you know, an Eastern, you know, religious or, or philosophical persuasion, be it more of a homebrew kind of thing, be it a paganism, you know, whatever it happens to be, Right. There's a lot of people who don't claim to be of any religious variety, if you will, but still live their life based on certain principles. And even when they defy those principles, they, they argue or, or would agree or admit that they are still defying something that they wish they didn't defy, right? Whether it's God or not. Truth is basically reality. I think the term should be used far more synonymously. Mm. When we talk about truth, we're not talking about just a philosophical detached idea that we might like or dislike. What we are doing is making content uh, um, comments on what is actually real. And even if you believe in multiple realities, that's still reality. You're still making a claim about how reality functions at that way, right? Mm -hmm. Within that, there are going to be beliefs about what's best in reality, how reality functions, what demands reality may or may not make on us or have on us, what the consequences of living in reality happen to be. 
this is all religious language that I'm using without using the term religion mm -hmm. at all, because religion is fundamentally about belief. belief. Atheism is a religion. It is a belief that there is not a God, mm -hmm. right? Humanism is a religion. It is a belief that humanity is the center of all that is um, knowable and operatable and, 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 and the experience of which we should be working towards and developing and living our lives in relation to today. Um, we can go on and on with this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. It's just reality statements. Sure. And you could also get into the whole creating your own God as well. You know, like in the old Testament, they were, they did that all the time. You know, the golden, golden calf, for instance, well, we're going to, we're going to make this something because I didn't really like what this said. So I'm going to have it actually be representative of this. And I think especially, well, I think not even in just today's culture, I think it's been through time of humanity that, you know, we've always been trying to skirt around the things that we don't like because they sometimes hold us accountable. Whether we count <laughs> ourselves religious or not, mm -hmm. At some level, every human being struggles between the two poles of going, I want to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but is there something beyond what I want to do that I should be doing, right? Or that I'm called to do, or that's right to do, or you can give it different kinds of language, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. So even take, you know, making your own God, well, this is what I like, right? And so I'm going to do what I like. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what I believe is real. I'm just choosing to do what I like couched under that language. Mm -hmm. However, other people might think it's real. Right. Going, you know, through thinking about this, through reflecting on this, through, through uh, what I've witnessed or experienced in this world, I've come to believe that this is actually true, whatever this happens to be. Mm -hmm. But those are two separate issues. Sure. Sure. Mikey? Is it is would it be fair to say then that more because I mean as as Christians you know and, and like you were saying like I I want to believe most of the time that yes I'm I'm doing all these good things because you know God has written the law in my heart but for the most part is it would it be fair to say that that it's it's mostly like cultural or societal is the reason more or less why we're you know doing these you know right or wrong things that that that's probably a stronger pull on it than maybe even the. I think it's certainly a stronger poll than a lot of people want to give credit to. Right. But I think to debase it all to cultural expectations and social mores and things like that also denies any sense of transcendent good or evil, mm -hmm. or certainly any interaction of God and the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Right. So yes, of course. I mean, many of the things that we hold to be so important are driven more by how we've been raised by our cultural expectations and things of that nature. But the call of Christianity has always been to return to God's perspective rather than our own situation in life perspective, our own personal perspective to try to see things his way. And that's why in every culture and every time in every place, there has always been similarities, but also conflict and difference between we're talking morality, mm -hmm. a morality of God or a truth claim of God or a reality statement of what is right in this world and what is wrong right. versus the culture we happen to live in mm -hmm. or the family ha we happen to live in or the church we happen to go to mm -hmm. or right on and on. Yeah. Right. yeah. Kent, you got anything on that? Uh I just tell my kids that I'm never wrong. Oh, yes. That's that's Kent's truth. <laughs> How's that one working out that's, for you, Kent? That's my religion. <laughs> the gospel of Kent. <laughs> All right. Here's one that uh, I found pretty interesting um, because, ironically, I'm going through it right now. Uh, where's it at? Um, male baldness pattern. Yes, male baldness pattern. I've been going through that a long time, Kent. So that's nothing new to me. Um, why do we, I can't, I can't find it for some reason, but there it is. Why do we focus on the cross? Why do we focus on the cross? Mm -hmm. Meaning specifically, why do Christians and Christian churches focus so much on the cross? Because the cross is the central mission of Jesus. This is the defining point of what Jesus came to do. And so as followers of Jesus, understanding the primary functional work for which he came and for which he lived and for which he aimed and for which he succeeded 
it's going to define everything. Christians, when they see Jesus dying on the cross, don't see simply a failed first century Jewish revolutionary who got in bad with the wrong people and got nipped by the Roman government. What they see is a very orchestration of God himself accomplishing something right there on that instrument for the world. And specifically what Christians see is Jesus going to die in humanity's place. That Jesus is presenting himself as a sacrifice. And a sacrifice means death, right? He's, he's giving his life over unto death to God on behalf of the world for the forgiveness of sins, for the, um, the reconciliation of the rift and divide that we have between God, for the reversal and renewal of the corruption that's come into humanity. And, and, and everything kind of spills out of the cross. I mean, the, the cross is ground zero from which all Christian belief in theology ultimately derivates. So, so that's why the big focus. That's so, why you see him all the time and so that's, everywhere. You're you're focusing on the the representation of the cross then and what it represents. Well, the reason that uh, let's just kind of talk tangibly. The reason you walk into a church and, and see like a cross everywhere, um, or even if it's a, a, a more modern church where it's not big into iconography, but the fact is that they still talk about the cross or that emphasis is so much put on Jesus' death on the cross, or people wear the cross necklaces, or get tattoos of the cross, or, you know, it's everywhere. It's all pervasive. The reason why it is the central Christian symbol, right, is to remind us, that's why it's functionally used this way, of everything that happened there and what its implications and meaning is for not just me, but all of humanity, mm. all creation, for that matter. So if the company that was hired to do the job used the guillotine, you would see guillotines there. You got it. Yeah. You got it. If the Romans used the guillotines, right. we'd see guillotines everywhere. If the Romans used lethal injections, we'd all be wearing little like hypodermic needles on necklaces, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> around our necks. I mean, it's it, it's not that there's something significant in two pieces of wood smacked together and that he happened to die on that. Yes, there is some biblical foreshadowing to that, and I don't want to discount that, but but fundamentally, it's not the mechanism it's what happened by that instrument. Yeah. 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 Do you think Jesus would rather have us focus on the cross or the crown? I, I think it's a false either or. Mm. And I think a lot of Christian tradition has uh, unfortunately got into that less filling taste great debate. Um, as opposed to going, they're both, uh, they're both intertwined. You, you know, you can't have one without the other. Even Paul in the New Testament will say um, that if Christ isn't raised from the dead, we of all people are most to be pitied. No, no. Death and resurrection should be seen as a singular event. And I don't mean it happened simultaneously. Mm -hmm. There was three sure. days between yeah. it or, you know, Friday to Sunday. But encompass that as a unit. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes the difficulty we do face, that Christians do face, is when they overemphasize one over the other. Mm -hmm. Um, you overemphasize the cross right now. You forget that eternal life begins now and Jesus has also promised victory. But, you, but if you overemphasize the crown or the resurrection right now, it doesn't make sense of the continued weakness, frailty, suffering, or sin that we happen to be embedded in until that full victory comes our way in Christ's second coming. Mm -hmm. So I don't like to pit them against each other because I don't think Jesus would pit them against each other. And I don't think historic Christianity has pitted them against each other. You need both. So let's put both up in, in the, in our church. Let's do that. You know what the difficulty of it though is, and you know, and I, I'll give you the challenge here, Steve is, um, you know, and I, and I can't agree with you more across fundamentally, it, there's a practical value. It's easy to portray. It's tangible, right? Any, anyone who knows how to use glue or tape or a crayon can make it. So there is, let's not over, overlook this, there is a functionality to a simple iconic symbol that fundamentally works. The best icons are simple, right? Just in the human psyche. It's tough to portray something similar when it comes to victory because a crown doesn't quite do it. Um, a, a crown, you're taking a couple of steps to resurrection, there, you know, an empty tomb. Well, what is it? What does a big old hole look a like? Hole. How, how do you blow a hole in your back? You know, 
maybe is it is it now that you know that we have 21st century technology is it just like a light beam like a shaft of light you know that should always be shining? i don't know man you know hey See, what's let's explore. happening here is that Dave is afraid to take the cross down. That's what it, that's where that's subliminally. That's what he's doing because he doesn't want to fear the wrath of the congregation. That's where, it's you know, how many saying, churches have had to actually go through that kind of stuff. But again, uh, you know, saying, and you're saying he doesn't want to bear that cross. Correct. And, uh, yeah. I don't want to bear that cross. One, and I'm putting myself on record. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I just don't see a need or a value to sure, it. Sure. You know, sure. because yeah. I don't think you undervalue one aspect yeah, I agree. to create, and I know you do. Yeah. To create value in the secondary aspect. Mm -hmm. But I love the idea of just how do you effectively portray resurrection iconically and symbolically? Because I know at Easter, like, like churches will play with this. Like they make these big backdrops of them. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, it might work for the day. How do you tattoo that? You know, I mean, a cross that's going to cost you like 15 bucks. You get the resurrection scene. I mean, you're into a, you know, a four figure tattoo at this point. And even then, I'm not sure it's going to look right. You know, it just. Mike's going to do it. Mike's going to do it. And then that way, when he's working out on the muscle on his back muscles, it's actually going to have Christ <laughs> from down here. And then when he does a certain move, Christ is going to ascend. You're like, by the way, you were, you were right. It wasn't a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> now, you just got inked again last week, though, didn't you? I yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. What do you got there for us? I got a new one. This is this is, and I will show you my faith by my works. Want to quote it? That is, it is uh, James two. So why'd yeah. you get it? What was the inspiration? Um, I got it because that's that's one of the things that that I want to live by. I want to live by you know my my faith is lived out by what I do, and I want to you know have it seen and not just be something that I you know talk about. So it's a personal thing to me. That's cool. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book? Of the Bible. No. no. Revelation. Really? Yeah, if you forced me to it, but not really. <clears throat> but yeah. How's that? Weak. Yours is James. It is it? James. Yeah. I love James. That's yeah. why I was like, good for you. You want a bit of trivia? Mm. James' name isn't actually James. What is it? Jacob. Mm. So if you open a Greek New Testament and you pronounce the Greek letters, it is I-A-K-O-V. Mm. Yaakov. Yaakov. What's that sound like? Yakov Smirnoff. Yakov Smirnoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's Jacob. And of course, that makes sense. I mean, think about it. Jacob was a biblical patriarch. Yeah. Anyway, James in the Old Testament, right? It's a it's an emendation or adoption, um, not rooted specifically to the King James Bible, but to the um, you know, the House Stuart, basically, in uh, 17th century England you know, which were big in propagating translations of the Bible. And well, how do you give a little nod to your sponsor here? You know, start calling it James. Speaking of which, sure, uh, yep. Sure. Two and two. Remember Chuck, Chuck Woolery. Yeah, we'll be, back. we'll be back in two and two, but we're not going anywhere. He just, our producers are lending us. So we have two minutes. Got two minutes so. left. All right. Do we got a speed round here? Do we got a quick, quick um, Okay. Because this will lead us right into next week, I think. Because I think next week we're going to do some uh, some Christmas questions. So Phoenix says, was Jesus born during the summer or the winter? <laughs> Great question. Was Jesus born during the summer or the winter? Tune in next week to find out the depth oh. of the answer. But we don't know. I'm going to talk next week because I know that there's a Christmas episode coming our way next Wednesday. Where we're going to talk about why December 25th got picked as the day to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Um, it's arguably not, I guess there's a one in 365 chance that it was, but I mean, fundamentally, we don't know the specific day, but there is a lot of conjecture about Jesus possibly being born in the late spring and some interesting arguments for that. Um, others that kind of place it in the December season, as we would talk about it today, um, because we only have like a minute now, yeah. I'm not going to get into all the interesting tidbits on that, but we do, uh, this, uh, this, this broadcast, we, we broadcast live Every Wednesday at um, 12.30 p.m. Central Time, we encourage you to tune in with us next Wednesday. And if you've missed any of our past recordings, um, you can always catch us on your favorite podcast provider. Again, we encourage you maybe go to fellowshipoffaith.org, go to the FOF Plus page. You can catch it right there. Or you can catch us on Apple or Spotify or any of the other ones that you, you, you happen to use or listen to. Um, and if we didn't get to your question today, it's in the inbox. 
Um, this is always an ongoing issue for us. We, we appreciate your questions. We try to get to as many that we can and do them justice. So if we didn't get to you, stay tuned. We'll get to you hopefully next week with a lot of Christmas questions coming our way as well. Christmas questions. And then we also have our Advent services. So like if you want to hop on fellowshipoffaith.org, check out our Wednesday evening Advent services. We've got those coming Not up. Not tonight, but next Not, week. Yep, yep. Starting yep. next week. And then we've got our Sunday morning services. As yeah. Well. Let us help you connect with the church home, be it here locally or in your area, wherever it might be. Reach out to us. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Steve, thanks for throwing that yeah. in. Mike, great having you on the show again yeah. today. Thanks. And Maya. And nice Maya. Job. Good question there, Maya. And hey, prayers for Pete. Yep. Prayers for Mary Catherine. Yep. All right. Keep yep. him your prayers this week. Um, I know the family would appreciate it. And Jesus says it, it matters. Yep. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah. We're God out. bless. Yeah.